Hey, this is Kelly Whiffen. Thanks for joining us today for the Encounter Church podcast. We all want to live lives of better decisions and fewer regrets. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, we believe the next 30 minutes can be one of the most helpful and hopeful parts of your week. At the end of the podcast, stay tuned for a couple messages. Thanks again for joining us today. How many of you would actually like that? Some of you. How many of you would punch a band member in the face? Uh, listen, if you're going to punch someone in the face, you're going to have more confidence than the woo, you know? Um, I think I would like that for a couple of mornings, but by the third, I'm like, get out, right? Um, and I don't know what band that made you think of. Maybe White Snake. I don't know. Some of the old ones. If you don't know White Snake, I forgive you. Right? Just some, just some good bands in the in the past with some crazy hair. I don't know about how your summer is going, but my summer is going great. Are you having a good summer so far? I hope so. Glad that you're here. Glad that you're joining us online. If you are not here, so many of you do when you are away or able to join us online. Maybe someone's on the beach right now getting some sun and they're watching online uh, or maybe they're uh, vacationing or out of town. So if you are out of town, we'd love for you to take the opportunity to join us online either Sunday morning or listening to the podcast a little bit later on. Hope you've been able to get some sun. Uh, this morning, one of our volunteers, Lauren, came, she said, you look so tanned through the camera. I said, spray tan does wonders. I've been telling my wife and she finally let me try it once. No, I'm kidding. Okay. No one laughed at the second comment because no one believed me. It's not a spray tan. If you like spray tan, um, let's, uh, let's talk about our series today. No, it's not a spray tan. Hope you've been enjoying the sun. If you're, if you're like me sometimes in the middle of the summer, I'm like, man, can this continue? You're like almost regretting that it's going away instead of enjoying it. Anybody? You're like, it's not going to last that long. You're like, ah, oh, can I just slow down just a little bit to enjoy, enjoy the sun? Uh, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here uh, on staff, um, and I will be leading this next series. Our, our pastor, Chris, will, will be around, but he's got some big things coming up in his life, and Jenny's in the room today. His wife, our preschool director, they are expecting a baby soon, baby number two. And so, yeah, we're excited for them. Excited to meet uh, Christopher Henry Causey pretty soon. Right, Ginny? She said, she confirms he's on his way in the back. So he's going to be taking off the next couple of weeks. He'll be around uh, still and, and, until the baby, but uh, I'll be leading this series. I'm, I'm really excited. We need models in our life. And one incredible thing about Daniel, the book that we're going to be studying, at least the first half of this book in the Bible that we're going to be looking at the next five weeks, is that he provides an incredible model for our life for what integrity looks like and what a strong, courageous, crazy faith looks like. Without models, it's impossible to be effective. Or could I say this? Without a model, it's impossible to reach your fullest potential. Yesterday, I experienced a Kimball Farm for the first time. Any Kimball Farm goers out there? Okay, a few of you. If you haven't been, you need to go, right? It's a really, really neat place. And so Rachel and I and our boys, and they both invited a, a neighborhood friend. And so we, uh, we braved it and took four young boys uh, to Kimball Farm yesterday, and it was a lot of fun. Well, they all wanted to do uh, the uh, zip line. So when they did the zip line, I went over to the batting cages and, you know, relived some memories. And why are you laughing? 
uh, all right? I just relived some memories. I did not know that my wife was recording me. And so what do you do when you're recorded? Come on. You want to see it? You're like, all right, how do I look? How do I look? And I'm watching myself going, that's not good. That's not what I remember. The hips need to kind of pull through. The shoulders kind of lagging a little. You know, I'm just like analyzing this baseball swing. <laughs> and so one of the beautiful things, I'm like, man, if I, if I were just watching me, my swing, my baseball swing yesterday, I haven't, I haven't, I don't, I can't tell you the last time I was recorded swinging a baseball bat. Do we have recorders when I used to swing baseball bats? Maybe, maybe not. I have to think about that. And so I'm watching it going, wow, I, I see so many issues. Now, I am no professional baseball player, but I realize that there are so many problems with it. But when you go to a professional stadium, especially during batting practice, and you watch these guys, that they're fluid, they're strong, and that's the model, right? And so from everything, you look at a professional swing, how fluid it is. And there's so many mechanics of the baseball swing, not just swing the bat. If you just say, well, hey, how hard this can be, stand in the batter's box, swing the bat, hit the ball. But there are so many small details in regarding to a great baseball swing with great bat speed that's required to hit the baseball where you want it. And where's the second thing about hitting the baseball? Very far, right? You want to hit the ball a long ways and you want to put the ball where you want. There's so many mechanics and I realize that what people need is a model. You need to understand what a good baseball swing looks like in order to achieve a good baseball swing. In order to be a good cook, you have to understand what a good model looks like by learning from others, right? In order to be a good parent. Some of us have struggled in so many different areas of our life because we've never seen or experienced a good model. I realized that I need good models, role models in my life in so many different areas. And I realized too that my, my, my sons, they need models in different areas of their life so that they can actually see what it looks like to be effective. As a junior in high school, I was very involved in the music program in my high school and I played uh, the baritone euphonium, a brass instrument. It's actually what I studied throughout college, uh, educate, music education and performance. And so I was a brass player and I took private lessons for a long time. And uh, the man that I took private lessons for, he was a professional tuba player. Now, if you make your money by playing a brass instrument, let me just tell you, that means you're pretty good, right? You don't make money in some of these small areas of life um, unless you are very good. And playing a brass instrument and someone paying you to, p to play a brass instrument, he was a very, very good uh, tuba player and uh, traveled all around the world uh, doing master classes. And someone connected me with him. And so he was my private teacher for a couple of years. As a junior in high school, he came over and he said, hey, um, we used to pay by form of checks. Some of you remember what checks are? Yeah. The little paper things you used to sign with your, all of your private account information on them, right? So I remember handing him the check at the beginning of the lesson. And I said, here, Mark, here's for today's payment. And he said, I want you to keep that. And I said, okay. And he said, I have a CD for you. That's another lesson, right? Compact disc, right? And it used to play music. Uh, probably still does, right? Um, I bought a 2003-old uh, Toyota recently. I'm like, oh, wow, a CD player. That's awesome. I don't have any CDs, right? But he handed me a CD of a professional euphonium player, and he said, here's today's lesson. I want you to sound like this. Now, I've been playing that instrument for six years, and it took six years for someone to say, here's a professional, sound like this. I want you to get a vision for what this instrument that you're holding sounds like. My parents did not make a lot of money. And they took a chance in the seventh grade and spent a lot of money, thousands of dollars, on a brass instrument. And so I, I, I had a professional baritone euphonium that was made in London, England. 
and that uh, are, is played by professionals all around the world. The problem is, as a seventh grader, I did not sound like a professional. And as a junior in high school, years later, because there's not a lot of professional uh, baritone players walking around, right? Anybody? Anything so, right? <laughs> and, and so he sent me home. He said, just for the next hour when you get home, just listen. And I was blown away. Now, I had been playing the instrument, like I said, for six years. And it was the first time that I'm like, this thing that I'm holding can sound like that? You don't have to wait that long in baseball to watch a great baseball player. You don't have to wait that long to watch a professional in whatever field that you're in or see someone that's very good at what they do before you have a model. This next five weeks is about seeing a man that is a model for every single one of us listening today. The model that we're going to look into is a model of courageous faith. It's a model of incredible humility. And it's a model of incredible integrity. Daniel lived a life that was extraordinary. To tell you a little bit about the, the historical context, this was right around 500 to 580 to 600 years before the time that Jesus was born. And what happened at the time is that Jerusalem came under attack, under the, the, the realm of the Assyrians by Nebuchadnezzar, this, um, ne ne uh, the second Nebuchadnezzar, right? Nebuchadnezzar II. He laid besiege and attacked Jer uh, Jerusalem and took all of the remaining people that survived the attack into captivity. And along with that came the royal members of the family, the royal clans, every family. They took them captive and they headed to Babylon. And so as you could imagine, your city being attacked, the city of Jerusalem was being attacked. And every remaining person that was not killed, murdered in battle was taken captive. Daniel was one of those men. And when he arrived in Babylon, the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, gave Ashpenaz, one of the leading court officials, a command. He said, basically, I want you to find, this is how the book of Daniel begins. I want you to find the sharpest men that you can find. I want you to find men without defect. And if you want to know what that means, it, it's kind of given a little color in the next um, in the next instruction by Nebuchadnezzar, I want you to find men that are handsome, men that can work, men that have no flaws, right? They're handsome, they're sharp, and they're capable. I also want you to find men that are able to learn, that they show a, an inclination to learn and to grow. And the command was, after he found these men, what he would do for three years, he would basically put them into Babylon University, right? And he would train them. They would learn the language of the Chaldeans. They would learn all of Babylonian language and um, Babylonian literature. They would put them in through this intense school of training. And after three years, those that were chosen out of the training would come into the king's service. And they would be at the king's command. Now, while in some ways being chosen was a compliment, this is basically the highest form of slavery. In so many ways, it's a compliment, but it's not a great compliment because of what's going to happen. Being the highest form of slavery is basically serving as a slave in the king's court. The king did not want scums around him. The king does, you know, does not want men that are not sharp around him. The, the king wants men that are sharp, men that are able to think, men that are able to help strategize. And Daniel was found and chosen by Ashpenaz, along with three others. We learned that their names were changed a little bit later down the road to 
um, to different names, but we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so much of the first few chapters kind of recounts what happens next. What happens after a time of being placed into captivity. We're going to pick up today in in verse 8 in chapter 1. Chapter 1 of verse 8. I'm going to read just these first three verses uh, to you. Daniel 1 verse 8 says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other men, young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. So right when they're taken into captivity, right when they begin their training, they learn how they're going to eat. Now, you and I would read this without understanding a little bit of the backdrop of, um, of Jews and where Daniel came from. His diet at the time that was somewhat restricted because of the way that he grew up and because of him being a Jew. We would read this and say, wow, they're given royal food. Remember, this is, in a sense, slavery because they're taken captive, but this is royal slavery. What kind of food do we learn in these three verses that they were given? Royal food and royal wine. Now, I think that goes without saying that this was not the cheap wine. This was not the cheap food. This was well-prepared food, and they're given good food and good drink to eat. But yet, Daniel, we learn in verse 8, he refuses it. Now, why does he refuse it? There's two things that um, we learn from the context and from the book of Daniel, why he would refuse it. The first one is because he was a Jew, that his dietary practices and restrictions were very different than the Babylonians. But most scholars believe that it's actually the second reason that I'll mention to you of why he was driven. So much of the practice of the time of these people, the Babylonians being a pagan culture, they would often sacrifice their food to pagan gods. And it was known that there would be a consequence to those that have faith that would eat this food because it would, in a sense, defile them. And so he was probably giving some really good meat. And the likelihood of that being sacrificed at the time was very, very high. And so he says... He chooses not to defile himself with this food or with this drink. Now, he has a decision to make. The decision to make is just, come on, eat the food, right? Now, you and I, we could be very, very tempted to just succumb to uh, just eating the food, right? Many of your family, many of your friends, many of your loved ones have already died, recently died in the last 30 days during war. And yet you're taken captive You're chosen to be in the king's court, a king's slave, and they give you food. You can eat or you can choose not to. What he chooses to do is ask for different food. Now, that would take some courage, but he does so in a unique way. He could have responded and reacted in a way that showed disrespect and showed dishonor, but he doesn't do that, doesn't he? This point here that I want to make is that Daniel's integrity is even more impressive than what he does. You're going to see what Daniel does in the book of Daniel as extraordinary. 
And you're going to see this and be inspired by it. But what he does in these next few chapters that we're going to learn these next few weeks, it is impressive, but it flows out of his integrity. So many people that we love and admire or respect or read about in the Boston Globe or we read in in, in the news every single day, we can uh, love and respect them and maybe their public life. But sometimes when we find about their private life, respect changes, doesn't it? From presidents to people that we um, look into or, or love and admire in Hollywood, to people maybe even in your workplace that you look up to. When you find out about their private life, something changes sometimes, doesn't it? The documentaries change a little bit of color of what they do versus who they are. Daniel, what he does is impressive, but who he is on the inside is even way more impressive than what he does. There's something inside Daniel's heart in this moment that he looks at that food and says, I I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. I refuse to. I think it's way bigger, way bigger than just what he wanted to eat that night. It was his faith. It's way bigger than just the food that he was given. It was his love for God. It's way bigger than just the food. It was his desire to actually please God. You'll see that laced throughout the the rest of the book of Daniel. But look at how he comes to him. If you recall what I read just a few moments ago, it says that he asked the chief official for permission, for permission. Now that's a little bit different, isn't it? Rather than just demanding not to eat or kicking the food back to them and saying, I'm not going to do that. My people don't do that way. Look at his humility. He comes and he says, I I have a request. Can I have some different food, right? He humbly asked the chief official. What does the chief official do? This was one of the servants, more than likely the servant of the servant of the king. You had Nebuchadnezzar, Ashpenaz, and then whoever delivered the food. Whoever delivered the food was the one that said, listen, if you want different food, this may cost me my head. How was your work yesterday? Right? I mean, you know, you're invited to lunch. You're like, nah, I'll take a salad. Really? Right? I mean, this was, this was not your workplace environment of you just not liking what was, what was served that day. This had everything to do with what his practice was in Jerusalem and his reverence and his love and his respect for God entering into a pagan culture that sacrificed meat to animals in worship to another God. And Daniel says, I'm not going to touch that. Can I please have some other food? And he says, if I go to the officials... Do you know what my worst case scenario is? They would behead me. And what does Daniel say? Daniel has every opportunity here to say, I understand. I don't want to put you into that precarious situation, right? I don't want to push you to to take the consequence of what I actually feel the conviction over. That's not what he does. He, his faith goes beyond a dietary restriction. His faith goes and continues. Look at verse 11. I'll read for a few verses. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servant for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. 
At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine, and they were to drink and gave vegetables to them instead. Now, this was wise, this test for 10 days, because there was a good likelihood. How long, do you remember, how long were these guys going to be in training? Three years. We learned that in the, in the very first part of this chapter for three years. And so he said, just give us 10 days, right? Just give us 10 days on this and we will prove to you that we um, are healthy and are strong. And so he does that. So for 10 days, what I love about this in, in, in verse uh, 12, he says, please test your servants. I wonder what Hananiah and uh, those guys were thinking right beside him. Hey, whoa, 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 test us, Right? You, you demand your own diet. He says, no, 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 test us. Test us. His faith even goes beyond just himself. He says, hey, uh, me and my amigos here, you test us. Watch, just give us vegetables and just give us water. You keep the wine, you keep your meat, just give us vegetables. And we're going to show you that we're healthier and stronger now, this isn't my recommendation for you to do what's called the Daniel Fast. By the way, if you just Google Daniel Fast, this is a known even um, uh, among many different uh, Christian circles as a way of body purification. You could imagine the detoxing that happens if you were to just drink water for the next 10 days or you were to just eat or consume raw vegetables for 10 days. He basically said, not just from a dietary perspective, but his faith in God. He said, you just give us 10 days and you just watch. And after 10 days, I mean, I guess he just lined these good looking dudes up, right? That had been working, that had been learning. I don't know. It's like, all right, take your shirt off, vegetable boys, you know? And I guess they had trimmed some more fat. Did they take before and after pictures? I don't know. I doubt it. But they looked at him and, and he said, okay, it works. I'll continue to give you vegetables. I'll feed you what you want. The incredible thing about this small, in, in our circumstance, in our culture, we almost can't even grasp the weight of his request. To refuse the king's food was to be an insult to the king. I have to think that this probably did not make it to the king's knowledge, right? I, I, I doubt the king knew about this first 10 days of dietary restrictions that Daniel had placed over himself and his friends. But look at this. Daniel displays his faith in God's strength. Daniel displays his faith in God's strength. This is way more than a dietary restriction, way more than a dietary conviction. This was about his faith in God. Who changed his appearance? When you look at these verses, verses 11 through 16 that I just read, the Bible says that God gave them favor, right? Now there's some physical uh, benefits of particular fasting, intermittent fasting, those that would not, let's say, not eat for 24 hours or 48 hours. There's benefits to uh, the, what we would call the Daniel fast, right? Vegetables and water only. And there's also benefits to other forms of fasting that we learn throughout the scripture. There's like nine different forms of it, of the way people that, uh, variations of fasting. Sure, there are benefits of it physically, but this was way more than just the physical. Daniel displayed his faith in God to make them stronger. And that's exactly what God did. 
The Bible says that these four men found favor from God, not because of their food choice only, but because of their faith. Daniel's faith extended beyond himself, even to his friends. While we laugh about him extending, hey, just give them vegetables too. They didn't deny it, did they? We learned that their faith was similar or as strong as Daniel's in the chapters to come. That this wasn't just one man extending his faith. This was four men in the king's court that were willing to change and risk their life and the life of those that they requested it to in order to show that their faith in God was strong. He basically said, I'm going to prove to you that my God will give me strength. Chapter two, I'm going to prove to you. Chapter three, chapter four, chapter five, and chapter six was God making his power known in their life. And this one was from as simple as a request to change their food. At the the end of the 10 days, they found favor, not just with Ashpenaz, not just with the official that was commanded to feed them and clothe them and take care of them, because that was a very different rule. Ashpenaz is basically... Um, the leader of uh, the uh, university, right? He was responsible for, at the end of those three years, presenting this group of men to the king and saying, look, these Jews, these foreigners from another land, they know our language, they know our literature. You can ask them questions, right, about who we are and about what we study. You can ask them questions about how we, how we interpret the weather and how we um, look at war. You can ask them questions and they are going to give you an A+. Plus. He was not responsible for feeding them. That was somebody else. But they were willing. These four men were willing to risk their lives and these others for the sake of their convictions and their faith in God. What happens next? Look at verse 17 to what God does. Verse 17 says this, To these four young men, not just Daniel, To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Let me ask you a question. I want you to help me. Who gave the knowledge? Who gave it? God did. But they were in a university, right? For three years, intense training. Not just to make brick and mortar and build new buildings, not to work the land. They weren't farmers. They were another layer of slave. At this point, they were knowledge slaves, right? But the Bible doesn't say that they learned a lot every single day, right? From eight to five when they got up and had to learn a new language, right? No. The Bible says that God gave them the knowledge. God bless them. It's, it's so, it's, it's very strange to me. Like they, they enter into a foreign land that did not love, did not revere, did not honor God at all, their God at all. And yet they, their purpose was to train them and to give them a sharp mind. And it's not like God gave them a way out to sneak out of the King's court. No, no, no. God gave them exactly what they wanted, but it was from him. He gave them knowledge. He gave them wisdom. Verse 18 At the end of the time set, which is at three years, by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar the king. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, He found them, what does it say? 10 times. He found them 10 times better 
than all of the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. In the verse 21, I didn't put up there. So it says, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Chapter one ends. Maybe I should have put that up for you. Chapter one ends by saying Daniel stuck around a long time. A long time. In fact, another interesting thing I want to tell you about um, the power of this story that we're going to be looking at in the next uh, five weeks is that Daniel lasted through three empires. Three empires. Now, this is different than someone holding a seat in Congress through multiple presidents, right? Because locals vote you in. This is different than someone holding, by the way, I think we should give a lot of respect to those that can hold a seat in the House or in Congress for a long, long, long time. It's hard to do. This is different. This is the king handpicking you. How many people can last in the White House because the last three or four presidents picked them and said, I'll keep you around? Can we just say that doesn't happen much, right? I mean, there's very few stories of people that were loved and revered by every president. And in our faith, we say there are very few people like a Billy Graham and his story and his life that he lived, a life of integrity, a life of strong faith. And every uh, president, uh, how, I, I don't know how many in the last, how many years have met with him, right? This is different. This is every king. Every king had the power to kind of shoo away Daniel. And we'll realize that he lasted through multiple empires and multiple kings, though they were very different, had, very con- had different convictions, different family members in-, in charge. But verse 21, that ends chapter one, says Daniel stuck around a long time. But we learn in these last few verses that it was God who blessed them. God blesses their final thing that you'll see up here. God blesses their integrity and their faith, and gives them a sharp mind. God blesses their integrity and blesses their faith, and he gives them a sharp mind. Faith is powerful, isn't it? And the reason faith is so powerful is because it shows and displays, sometimes privately in your walk, in your belief, in your journey, wherever you are in your faith journey. Sometimes it's private, and sometimes it's super public. You can have a strong, strong, resilient faith in your heart, and between you and God. You can also make that at times very public. What we get the opportunity to see in the book of Daniel is his public faith, and his public faith was made public in some very, very difficult situations. I love the physical representation and the picture of faith that sometimes we even see in kids. I'll never forget when uh, Josiah was uh, right at a year old, we had one of those, uh, of course, blessing moments where a kid, kiddo starts to walk around eight or nine months. In fact, my wife didn't believe me when she was gone one evening buying groceries. I called her and I said, hey, Josiah is running around the house. She's like, what? What happened to like taking your first step? I'm like, oh yeah, just wait. <laughs> and he hasn't stopped since, right? He has not stopped since, 10 years old. And so um, a couple months later, uh, right at a year old, I mean, he's just flying, flying around the house. In one of those good, proud parenting moments of not having the baby gate upstairs. And I walk halfway up the steps and I realize, oh, Josiah's upstairs. He can comfortably like go up and down the steps. He knew how to sit down and kind of, kind of uh, pop his bottom on each step as he's going down the steps, right? So most of the time it felt pretty safe, but we did not have the baby gate. And I'm like, where's Josiah? Anytime you're like, where's my one-year-old? It's probably not good, right? <laughs> So I'm like, huh, where is he? And I, and I say, Josiah? And I, you know, normally if you just 
say Josiah, you're going to hear him, right? Even before you, your, your voice stops saying Josiah, you just hear him. And so I sat there, I just never heard his voice. And so I remember going to the steps and I looked on the top of the steps, on the very top stair, his big smile. I'm like, oh no. And I'm like, almost like to my golden retriever dog, I'm like, sit, you know, <laughs> don't do anything. And he's like this, like, you're going to catch me, right? Yeah, exactly. And so I start going up the steps. I'm like, don't do it. Sit down. I'm like, no, okay, I'll catch you if you go, but no, don't. And he just leaps. And I leap up the steps and catch him, right? But there was not an ounce of fear in him. Why? He was confident in who? In me. And I'm like, listen, you're 12 months old. You don't get that. Don't ever do that again. I want to scold him, but he's happy. Like, my dad caught me. Let's do it again. He's like, again, again. I'm like, no, no. And I remember even telling Rachel that story of him just leaping from the top steps. I was probably on the third or fourth step, enough for me, about six feet tall, to reach up, right, and catch him uh, just fine. But he was confident in me. The reason Daniel does what he does is because he is confident in God. He can tell royal officials. He can tell Ashpenaz, the one that's in charge of Babylonian you, right? He can stand in front of the king in the future weeks as we learn and say exactly what he knows God would have him to say because of his faith. I don't know where you are in your faith journey, but some of you may say, I, I'm not, I'm not there. If I would have read this story in maybe high school and I said, wow, it's pretty incredible, but I've never had that opportunity in order to have kind of that faith. But I can tell you this, faith starts small. There was one day, and we don't know the story of his upbringing, but one day Daniel learned about God and Daniel learned about how much God loved him. And Daniel learned about who he is. And Daniel placed his faith in God and started following him with his life. We even learn about his prayer life. We learn about his faith. We learn about what he is able to do, not just in his public life, but in his private life. He took a faith step and a faith journey to say, I believe in God. And now he finds himself in the king's court. And his faith is on display. Every single day, you and I get the opportunity, the unique opportunity, but sometimes difficult opportunity to place our faith on display. While that's not easy, either it be from your neighbor in casual conversation or a boss or someone who asks for me what I do for a living. And like, so what do you do for work? And I'm like, well, I'm a pastor. Like, oh, what's your job? You know, so like someone that doesn't understand, like, well, I actually work at the church. Let me explain this to you. They pay me, right, to work at the church, right? And so it doesn't matter where you are in your faith journey, whether you're new to faith or you've been, um, or you've had faith in God for a long time, we have the opportunity to display it. And listen, so many of you are like, I don't know what that model looks like. That's what the book of Daniel can do for you. And that's what the book of Daniel can do for me. Even reading these last couple of weeks as I've been preparing for these next five weeks, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is faith on display. This is a model that you and I can look at to say, hey, I got to change my swing a little bit, right? I got I to gotta change my stance, right? Maybe I need a new bat, right? I got to change some things in my life. We want to help you do that. We want to help you take steps of faith at Encounter, whether that's your first step, you're getting into the batter's box, or you've been swinging a long time. We have a model that we can look at 
And I can't make many promises to you because let me tell you two things. There are principles in the Bible and then there are promises in the Bible. And honestly, sometimes they're hard to, to, to tell apart. Principles are principles and promises are promises. Sometimes principles come with a promise. Sometimes they don't. An example I could share with you. There's a Bible verse that says, if you raise up a child in the way he should go, when he is old, he will not depart from it. Okay? So let me, let me say that again. If you raise up a child in the way that he should go, if you train up a child, literally in the Hebrew, if you train them right, when they are old, they will not depart from what you train them. Is that always true? Go ahead and say it confidently. That's the right answer, class. No. Is that always true? No, but, but wait, it's a principle that if you train someone well, they will always know. They will always see. They will always understand. But that child can choose a different path than what you train them, right? So that's a principle. But there's these promises in Scripture that are always true. The promises are always true because they are based in who God is. So let me tell you a promise that we find all throughout scripture. Here it is. God blesses faith. He blesses faith. When you have faith and when you show faith, God blesses it. And so here's what I want to tell you here at the end. Here's what we learned from Daniel. If you show integrity and you show faith, you can expect to see God's blessings. If you show integrity, and that's what Daniel did, and you show faith, you can expect to see God's blessing. I can't make a promise on what that blessing looks like or sounds like. I can't, I can't tell you that you're going to have the favor of your boss like Daniel found favor with his boss. Even though his boss did not believe or see or understand the same God that Daniel believed in, he still found favor. I can't promise that to you. That's Daniel's story. That's not necessarily my story and your story, but I can tell you this all throughout scripture, when men and women, and ever since what we read in scripture, when men and women walk in integrity and they do what's right and they display their faith in God, there is a promise of God's blessing at some point and in some way over you. If you'll walk in integrity and you'll show faith. I had a professor once that said, men and women, do you know what integrity looks like? It looks like a bridge that you'll drive over. And I remember that moment thinking, oh, that's good. What does that mean? <laughs> Sounds good. But what do you mean? He goes, if it lacks integrity, would you trust it? No. The first word of integrity, you would say, well, it means honor being truthful, right? These specifics. But the second form of the English word integrity literally comes from the root that says there's no weakness, right? That it's strong, that it's made well. Daniel on the inside had integrity and it paved its way for his faith. He's not perfect, nor am I, nor are you. But his integrity, his decision to do the right thing even in the face of his killers. When I mean his killers, I mean those that killed his countrymen, his family, his friends, his former neighbors. He said, I'm not going to eat your food. That, that didn't flow just out of the diet. That flowed out of his integrity. 
and you, with your integrity and with your faith in God, I can assure you that God will bless your faith, that God will bless your integrity. The truth is, is that the reality of what has been done to you doesn't have to define you. The reality of what's been done to you does not have to define you. In Daniel's circumstances, he didn't let it define him, but he rose up through it and he showed his faith and he showed his integrity. And if we do what he did, God will bless you. And eventually one day in some way and in some form, you'll see it. Let's pray. Thanks again for joining us. Did you know we've created a free app just for you? Whether you're exploring or want to grow in your faith, the app is a great place to start. If you found today's teaching helpful, we hope you'll subscribe or share it with your friends. We look forward to connecting with you on site or online at Encounter Church soon.